Hello, I'm Caroline Carey. I'm a soul worker and soul doula. I have a deep understanding of the soul's journey from cradle to grave, and I've traveled between the veils of the spirit realms. I've studied the path it evokes, and I've come to understand why the majority of today's problems are rooted in the loss of spirituality. So my work, which is Middle Earth Medicine Ways, empowers people to find what is lost and to reclaim their own circle of strength by embodying their soul. And I do this by holding a space for healing and soul retrieval with shamanic skills, trance and conscious dance. I love creative writing and poetry. Please join me in listening to these wonderful teachers and soul workers, the facilitators and the guides of spiritual and shamanic work. They all have something very important to share and are a great gift to our communities. I've learned a lot from listening to them. I invite you to also. I have to admit, I've never had much interest in the corporate world. It's never crossed my path particularly, except I am part of that world. We all are. We all engage with it on some level. And my curiosity around storytelling has led me further afield into that world. And I met David at a party and I thought to myself, I wonder if he has a story to tell. And I heard he was a lawyer. We got talking and he also told me he was a storyteller. And of course, that pricked my ears and I thought, I want to know more. Tell me about your storytelling. Here we go. This is David, a lawyer. He's also done a lot of men's work. And that, I feel, is incredibly important for the world I know very little about. I hope you enjoy this podcast. David, what makes a, a lawyer become a storyteller? <laughs> what, a, what a question to start me off with. What makes a lawyer become a storyteller? Um, I don't think anything makes a lawyer uh, become a storyteller. I think I've always been a storyteller. Um, I've always loved stories since I was a kid. And um, I've loved telling stories and hearing stories. And I happened to become a lawyer along the way. Um, I got diverted into being a corporate lawyer, if one could get diverted into that. But I've always loved stuff. I think I told you, I, I, when I was a kid, I uh, there were two books that I had. One, and I've actually got my first book ever here somewhere. Yeah, it's called Our Island Story. And my parents bought me this when I was 10 years old. And it's still got in here. Sorry, eight. To our darling David, hoping that you will enjoy reading this many times in years to come. With love for mummy and daddy. That's June 1965. Amazing. And that was the story of England. And then the first, my first memory of a, a real book was when I was a kid. I lived in um, a little uh, uh, group of houses up in North London. And in front of the houses, there was a little green area, a little green patch, and um, where people would play football in this cold side. My parents didn't let me go out there because they thought it was dangerous. So mm. um, I used to stand behind the gate trying to get out. Sorry, the dog's trying to get out here now. Uh, and uh, one day they weren't there and I managed to get out the gate and I went out and played in, in, across the road. And I played all afternoon and I ended up one day with one, that day with a, one little boy playing with me. His name was Stephen. And so I must have been seven or something or six. 
And he said, and these were innocent days, do you want to come back to my house afterwards? Yeah, of course. So we went back to his house and he took me to his room. And I remember seeing the book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, laying there like a light came on. I said, what, a lion, a witch and a wardrobe all in one? He said, yeah. I said, can I borrow it? So I borrowed that book and it became my favourite book. I bought, bought, bought the series and I read them over and over again. And I went on and I read them to my children when they grew up. And I had the pictures of Narnia, the the, the mythical place painted on a, the, 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 a wall of a garden flat I had in, in London. And it became a thing. And that became the first big story I remember. So I've always enjoyed stories, fantasies. And I didn't get into storytelling through being a lawyer, um, as you can imagine. Although I advocate storytelling for lawyers. I advocate to lawyers. They learn to tell stories. It's a better way to communicate. I got into it really through doing Toastmasters, public speaking. So I kind of got into that. So, And then I realized that I, I became fascinated with the way storytelling works on the brain and how it changes the brain and how the chemicals that uh, um, are produced when you tell a good story um, change the way people deal with you. And, you know, so that was a long, a long answer to a short question. Um, But I hope that gave you some guide. You know what I'm fascinated with at the moment, David, what happened when your parents found out you'd gone beyond the gate? They weren't happy. And they were actually right because um, cars would come around that road and we hit the balls and hit the car and it was it was it was mad, and it was you know a long time ago, and uh, and you can't even. And I, I was just thinking what the kids used to call me in the street behind, and I was looking out the gate. They used to call me Monkey Boy, um, but they can't. That's an expression you couldn't use today because it's got all sorts of other implications. But I remember it really well, and uh, I used to feel really hard done by and, and sad and down. But my parents were actually quite right. It was dangerous. It really was dangerous, but yeah. you know, it's a but long the other time kids ago. Kids were allowed to get out there, and you yeah, were- yeah, yeah. But what did you do apart from standing at the gate watching them? What was your solace? What was your um, sanctuary, if you like? Gosh, at that age, I can't really remember. I think it was my dog, uh, Blackie, and another name you couldn't use these days. My dog Blackie, who was a mongrel, I used to go walking with him a lot. I was, uh, I was, I'm trying to remember. I was quite a shy little boy. I was a very little shy, shy little boy, um, and uh, yeah, I was quite solitary. I was quite solitary. I had a few friends, um, but yeah, I think I just used to read. I used to read an enormous amount. Yeah. I used to read all the old Enid Blyton books. Do you remember those? I remember those. Yes, yeah. Five Island and all uh, that. Well, I had a little bookcase um in my in my little room at home that overlooked some fields behind and uh and i had all 21 of the uh, famous five books and when i went for my secondary school interview uh, my mum said to me whatever whatever happens when she says what kind of books do you read don't say any blighted but i forgot when i got in there and and, and, and the, the interviewer says, so what, what kind of, oh, I love the famous five. <laughs> my my mum was, oh, no, because she wanted something much more elevated. But I loved all that. And I used to love yeah. all those kind of books. Like, um, oh, that was just, I just loved all that kind of stuff. Books so about you, school. Yeah, what did you do when you left school? Um, well, when I left school, uh, when I, I went to Polytechnic, because I didn't do very well in my A-levels. I did very well in the first year thought I'd of my A-levels thought I'd got it cooked done and I, I didn't turn up for the second year 
So I went to law. I went to law polytechnic, a law degree. I only kind of fell into law. I didn't really grow up wanting to be a lawyer. Um, I mean, who does? Let's be honest. Um, I kind of at one point I wanted to be a journalist, and um, and then someone said you've got to spend fourteen years writing uh, things about you know, pet shows in Wigan or something, and I didn't fancy that. And I'm sure they lied. But I, where I grew up, I, all I wanted to do was run my own business. You see. Okay. which I do because uh, when I was a kid everybody that I knew kind of ran their own business I mean they never had any money but they ran their own business so my dad's two best friends who were the neighbors they had their own taxi uh, cabs okay my dad and my granddad ran a um uh a woman's uh blouse factory which was constantly failing when I remember it um although interestingly uh they he called it bridge blouse company when I asked why he said so we can tell people we're employed by the BBC which I thought was quite clever. But they all did. Like my mum's best friend did the markets in Bethnal Green. My my auntie, great auntie Polly, she ran a uh, a fashion shop in the West End. She was like the success. And it was glamorous clothes for glamorous people. It turned out it was the first transvestite shop in London. I didn't know that. Nice. No one told me that. So all these kind of weird characters, you know, yeah. uh, run their own things. It, money, it wasn't about making lots of money. It was just about being independent. So I grew up wanting to run my own business. So I basically started my own law firm as early as you could do. Having, I went into marketing. I, I, a marketing company, a guy offered me 50%. I took it. It failed. I then, you had to do law. Then I basically started my own law firm. Like really, I was 27 or something. Just just because it wasn't about being a lawyer. It was about, okay, well, I better get started. if I want to run my own thing. Okay. So, yeah, and it just happened like that. Amazing. It just happened like that, yeah. Yeah, and and then the Toastmasters. Tell me more about that. Well, that came. Um, I I I got into that in 2012. Um, I'd spent a lot of time in you know the Mankind Project, which I think you've heard of. Yeah? Yes, I've heard which of it. Because I think Ben's Ben. Yeah. In, yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time in that, and and uh, and I had some difficulty at the end in leadership there, and. And I was looking for something. I, I I took my I took a sabbatical, and I went travelling by myself in South America for three months in 2012. And when I came back, um, I went to see a, a coach, a, a life coach. I said I wanted to make some change in my life, and I said I want to do some inspirational speaking. I want to do some more. Can you? What, what do you think I should do? Basically, that woman, I paid her fifty pounds an hour. She taught me two things. One was how to use my NatWest app on my phone, and the second was she said go to Toastmasters. I said, isn't that all those old chaps in red outfits who go, lords, ladies, and gentlemen? She said, no, 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 that's very old. She said, no, it's a completely different organisation. Toastmasters is the biggest public speaking organisation in the world. Go along, find a club. So I looked up and I found like a club, a uh, public speaking club near my office. Um, um, and the club was in Barclay Square. It was called Barclay Square Speakers. I turned up in this very posh place in Barclay Square, sat at the back and realised I probably was the dumbest person in the room. And um, I hear all these people these lovely speeches and I thought, wow, I'd love to be able to do this. So I started and a few months later, they asked me to be president. I don't know why, because I wasn't good. I just kind of got very enthusiastic. Hmm. So I, I did that and I really enjoyed it. And I ran it for a year and I changed the venues and did and then I liked it so much that I decided to form my own club. Because um, as you get, you know, I am a bit of a self-starter. So I like, you know, doing my own stuff. So I started that in uh, near where I worked. I called it City Limits Speakers. 
because I worked in Chancery Lane, which is on the is the city limits. It's the it's the, the road really. It's the limits between the city and the West End. So okay. I so I got into that and I started doing public speaking. Cool. So I'm seeing quite a thread here between your life. You know, this isolated little kid who gets invited out by one other little kid out to play the game, um, but generally you're you're there in your solitude with your books, your stories, and particularly the stories of adventure. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think. I think. I, I. So I come from a big Jew. What was a big Jewish family? They've all died now, but it was a kind of a bit of a conflict because the larger family, my grandma's family, were all these extroverts. You turn up at dinner, you know, like all kind of everyone would be chatting and, and and. But my own little family, my mother, my father, and me were very. They were really quiet. Yeah. So we turn up and we sit there and, you know, my grandfather would go, how's business? And I'd say, well, I'm only five years old. I haven't got a business yet. And it was, but it was kind of like, so I, we used to, I'm a big, big uh, football, big Arsenal fan. I've been going my whole life. I was born, my father did, my grandfather, my kids do. But I remember being at football and uh, all these people were chatting to each other and we never chatted to anyone else. I remember fancying this girl who was about five years older than me in the world. She wanted to chat to her, but I didn't know how to. So um, what I, 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 you know, they say in life, you're either inspired to be like someone or to be unlike someone. You, you're inspired to be different. I think I was, so I remember years later being at football and getting to know everybody and, and get everyone to come for lunch and, and going out and arranging things and wanting to be the person at, at the centre who talked, spoke to everybody because I think I'd been inspired not to, not to be I didn't want to be that person who didn't talk to anyone or was lonely I I don't know maybe I'm, I'm psychoanalyzing myself as I'm telling you but I think that's what it was yeah yeah bringing yourself out in that way so I'm curious about the becoming a lawyer and you know, clearly you've got to be a bit of a detective in a sense with that, haven't you? You're f trying to find things out, trying to find the story that's maybe hidden or not so obvious. Or, I mean, I don't know what kind of lawyer you are. So, well, I'm, yeah, I'm, cool. I'm transactional. I'm the good guy. I'm the guy <laughs> people come to when they want to buy things or sell things. So if you want to buy a company, you come yeah. to me. But I've done an awful lot of other stuff as a lawyer. Yeah. I've done all sorts of law, from criminal law to um, intellectual property law to all I've done all sorts of things in all sorts of ways and, and met all sorts of people so it's kind of um, if I look back at my career it's been reasonably colourful um, some interesting stories some I probably can't tell on here <laughs> no, probably not <laughs> uh, um, so, so, but tell me you know like is it like that is being a lawyer um, is that like you, you've got to dig around in the dirt a little bit to find anything that might be um, yes might be hidden um, well yeah I mean as, as a yes I mean certainly in court, transactional if you're buying a company you're, you know that we get all the documents and the paperwork and there's, there's bound to be something hidden in there yeah. there'll be something I never really thought of it that way but I think you're right there would be something that they're trying to hide from you or something you're trying to hide from them if you're selling right. um, and you've got to make sure you ask the right questions yeah and and don't stop with just the answers push on further we know in other words what's the story beneath the story that's really right right so storytelling and reading yeah i guess so i i don't, I don't really cool. i just i guess that's true i guess yeah i mean i can, I can see the way it's going now but yeah it wasn't my intention but yes i think storytelling has become such a big part of what i do now 
Right. The, the, it colours a lot. What's your What's your favourite theme with telling stories? Um, I don't really have a favourite. Most of them are personal stories. Um, I run a little storytelling group here in our village, actually. Oh, which right. we, started, we started in January. Um, in fact, we do every month. We've got Storytelling 6 next month. Um, and people come along and they tell stories. And I give them a little explanation of how to do a, a story curve, like in a story arc. You know, middle of begin, beginning and middle and end. Most of them are personal stories. People tell I, the ones I tell. I always joke now. I've reached the age where I tell personal stories because they're the only ones I can remember because I was there. Um, but you have to storify things. You know that you have to take something. The facts. You, I mean, it's not a lie, but you storify it. So people come along, and we have people here where we laugh a lot. People tell very personal stories. There are tears about deaths of people or people who are close to something. Or just heartwarming, funny stories. So I don't really have a theme. I think it's, although, I funny enough, when I tell stories, they're nearly always personal. Um, when I re read, I love sword and sorcery. I love fantasy novels. I love. I don't. I very rarely read autobiographies or biographies. So I think my telling is different to my reading and my enjoying. Have you ever thought of writing your own book? I have, and people have told me I should. And. Um, uh, and I thought about it. Maybe I'm too lazy. Um, maybe I prefer the, the speaking. I prefer the speeches. I prefer telling my stories. Um, I have thought about it. I'm not I, 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 I don't know. Maybe one day. I, a number of people said that to me. I mean, the last person was probably about four days ago. You've got to write a book. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. My maybe you Maybe you could all write a book for me and I just sign it at the end. Well, I don't you know. You know, you can always record some of your stories and, and yeah. Easily, uh, yeah. it all gets yeah. up for you. Well, what I have done, um, and I think I think everybody's got something. Maybe you have in, in what in what you do. Um, I have if you're going to do anything, you need to practice and you need to make notes. So if you're an artist, you draw, you keep you you're doing drawings all the time, yeah. Um, if you're a poet, you're probably writing po bits of poetry, whatever comes up. Well, what I do is I keep on my iPhone uh, hundreds of notes of, and it'll just be titled, what's the day? 25th July, story slash speech possibility. Something will happen, probably about, about this podcast. Did this. While I was talking, um, I suddenly remember something from my, and I'll write that down. Yeah. And right, then, right. And, it, and when I'm short of a, a speech or something I've got to do, or just a story or a dinner or something. I'll have a look through and, I'll, and it, so it's, I'm, I'm constantly adding to it. You know, I'm hoping if if I die before my wife, I'll have to make sure she gets the iPhone and she can actually send them out to all the people I mentioned in there because they're mostly oh. nice. There's not much horrible in there. So, well, mostly that's, nice. that's, that's what just, that's just my, that's my daily practice really. That That's really good. And that's exactly what I did. And it all turned into written six books so far so have you really i have so gosh and, and that's how it all started i would dance i would create i would go for a walk whatever it was i was doing and then i would write down whatever came to me as well as the um you know the 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 data the life experience and so what I, sort of books have you written oh let's stick with you dave <laughs> <laughs> I'm that, you, you, i'll okay. tell you later but okay. yes but but what you're talking about life experience you know and and what we've learned from that and what we can then share with others which i think is really valuable and so yeah. you know what you have to share i think would be incredibly valuable so what about this mankind project and and you know this is 
men's personal development work. What got you into yeah. um, mention that uh, a little bit? Well, I mean, do you want the long story or the short story? Well, how I mean, much time have we got? You know, give, give well, us. I, the, like, I'll give you. Time. I'll give you five minutes. How I got into it, then, if you like, if Go that's on. too, and then you can always shut me up. So, um, it, it was in nine. It was nineteen ninety-seven. I got into it. And um, I, at that point, I was running my own law practice, doing quite well. And um, one day I was sitting in the back of a taxi and uh, a mini, I used to get a minicab to work. The same company used to take me. There was a Scottish guy called Alistair. He was always there. And he said to me, um, uh, uh, I'm doing, he was telling me about his, pro he told me he was in white goods. I thought he meant cocaine at first. It turns out, no, he meant he meant um, end of white goods, like fridges and freezers. He was investing. So he tells me how much money he's making. I said, that's interesting. And after telling me for about two months, he said, do you want to put some money in? So I said, um, not really. And then we, anyway, eventually I, put, I, I invested £2,000 in this project. And I got the money back really quickly and with huge profit. And I got, and I said, great, I'll put some more in. Kept bidding in and I kept getting really big rewards over a three, four month period. And then I got some friends involved. Big, they kept coming back, showing me the money. I'd say, no, put it back in. Anyway, and, and it grew and grew and grew. And then um, one day, I, so I never took the money out. It all went back in. One day I was on holiday. I couldn't get hold of him. And uh, he finally returned my call. I said, where's the money this month? He said, oh, it's going to be a bit delayed. I've got a slight problem. And then he disappeared on me. And there was tens of thousands of pounds in there. And we eventually, I got hold of a private detective who traced him down. And they found him at the Victoria Sporting Club in London. He'd been gambling it all. Mm. And each month, he'd never actually had that. He'd just given me a box, show me money, which I'd never taken out. And just gone out, same money all the time. It never, it never actually gained anything. So I was in a real state um, and uh, a really bad state. And one of our my friends um, had a gun, which he threatened he was going to kill this guy. I said, "No, you're not not doing that." I, you know, the guy had been so. It got very very nasty, and I was very very depressed. I was I've never been suicidal, but I was as near as I got. And one of my friends, Robert, had said to me so, and he'd been talking about the Mankind Project for for my. He said, uh, "I think you should come on the Mankind Project." And I just looked at him and uh, I was in a real bad state and he'd lost money as well in this. And he was being really good to me. And I just looked at him and said, okay. I said, don't give me a brochure. Don't tell me what it's about. Just tell me where I've got to be and what time. And I turned up there in April, 1997. And it was a huge, um, uh, huge training for me. It really started something in me personal development that I and I, I I got very involved in it and I, I did the training and I went on gosh I went on uh, to become I became UK CEO of Mankind Project and then I went on to become facilitator co-leader and I've done well over a hundred trainings on four continents now over the years and I I went back and did one I hadn't done one for a few years I went back uh in fact four weeks ago and did one and I loved it so much I've forgotten how much I loved it. I've immediately signed up to do one in the middle of Sweden in uh, in November. And I'm back into it now. And, and now I'm also involved with the elders of that project, as you know. Um, so it's 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 something that's been a huge part of my life over the last, gosh, 26 years. Wow, 26 years. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, the, the, like men's work is really coming to the forefront these days, isn't it? There's a lot of groups. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 
uh, as has as, as women's work but i think that's that's largely been there a lot it's been there for a long time yeah but um men coming together in this way it's an incredibly healing yeah hey and and what yeah. would you say it's done for you i mean it it it's interesting that you you hit that kind of rock bottom didn't you where you've just got to got to enter into something it's either, i don't know whether i, I don't know whether i would have gone if i hadn't yeah that that's what's so uh, yeah. interesting yeah, yeah. so um, and what would you feel you you gained personally for yourself within that it's hard to say because i've been in it for so long now um i gained um well i gained a huge community of friends some of my best friends are still in it. i gained i became accountable for my actions i think i became way more emotionally authentic able to express emotions and hear emotions and um and hold people accountable. I learned conflict resolution tools that I didn't have before, which I actually use at work or have used at work. I'm not in, I say I'm not, I'm not in that business anymore. I'm in corporate, so I don't really do, and I don't really do much corporate anymore. I basically just do strategy. So, but yeah, so I've used it. Um, uh, it helps me not to project too much onto people. I now try and look at them through a, a, a kinder, softer lens which I think has come also with age rather than just being in the man camp. And um, just a huge community of men who I can talk to on a very, very deep level, as well as on a funny level. I mean, these trainings we go and do, they're very, very deep, but it's also on another level, a load of guys going away camping together. And they talk about all the things other guys who, who were going away camping who hadn't done this work do, but they just do all the other stuff as well. Yeah. So it's a, for me, it's, for me, there's got to be joy in there. It has to be joy. Um, there's got to be learning and growth and everything else. But if there's no joy, where's the sizzle for me? I don't. So, so whatever I do, I try and bring some joy into it, and and find the joy in it. That's really lovely. So yes, yeah, so you must have a lot of friends that you've connected to around the yeah. world through all of this. Yeah. And yeah. you've taken a leadership place position in in many different things. Your work. Yeah storytelling, yeah. groups, being a CEO, yeah. having your own business, which is, is quite a solitary thing. Hey, leadership can be a very solitary thing. You know, when you're, you're there at the, to uh, an extent. Yeah. 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 To an extent. I mean, um, yes. I mean, it's, uh, it can be a lot. I don't want that nonsense. It's lonely at the top, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown, all that load of old bollocks. Excuse my language. Yeah, I've got friends, and I've I, I haven't, only haven't run big organisations. I did run the, the Man Cut Project, and I'm I'm now running the Elders, and um, and I've run my own business. Yeah, and I and I I'm I'm treated as a sort of leader in my in the bigger company I'm in now. But it's more, I enjoy doing it. I I bring what I want to bring, and don't bring what I don't want to bring. I I don't find it difficult leading people. Um. I I I have a I hope I have I, my style. I mean, then you you could do ten podcasts on leadership styles. I mean, I suppose my style is much more collaborative now than it used to be. Okay. It used to be my way or the highway, which is the the, the, the leadership style. Perhaps for a young man, okay. you know, here's what we're going to do. Just uh, let's go. Now it's much more okay. What does everyone think? How are we going to put this together? Here's some thoughts, and sometimes more step back and let that let the team put that together, and then just come in afterwards. You know, it's it's more about empowering other people now than making me the, the big guy. And that's um, good leadership skills, hey? Would you say? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think sometimes people want to see you lead from the front, 
and sometimes um you just have to step back and let others do it I, it's it's hard it just depends on the situation understand. Uh, I, I hear you yeah yeah and and you're married you live yep. in where do you live i live down in west sussex um i'm a I'm a born and bred Londoner, never lived outside London until for the last five years. And I'm now down in, in a tiny village you would never have heard of called Birdham in West Sussex. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, and I've, I've been married, actually, I've been, I've been married since t- uh, 2018. We moved down here in 2000, yeah, late 2018, yeah. And what does your wife think of all the the, the the sort of leadership work and the mankind project? Oh, she's she loves she's very supportive of it. Um, I mean, it's all new to her. She doesn't come from that background at all. Um, and it, ha- uh, it helps in a in a marriage, don't you think? In relationship, because doing the work that you're doing, the mankind project kind of work, personal development, doesn't that all really help in relationship? Not just to your partner, but to other members of your community. I think so. I don't know. You have to ask them that. I think when I, I mean, I've been married before and I've been with other partners in the past. And when I first joined it, like a lot of guys, I became incredibly messianic about it. And this is the way to do things. You know, this is how we do it. And um, I think in many ways it pushes people away. And I think time ameliorates that time levels out the edges and you you grow and you become hopefully one becomes a little more mature and more wiser and you know when to use it i mean basically when i first joined the mankind project every bugger i ever saw i told them to go and do the mankind project or i to- told the women to do the women's equivalent which was um a woman within or women in power which is a sort of uh, parallel movements and then uh, i think i drove people away i know i drove friends away i don't do that anymore I I, I I let it come into my life where it comes into my life. And, and my friends, a lot of them from the Mankind Project, my wife loves dearly, but we don't make it all about the Mankind Project. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that, that it's, it's interesting because um, I, I often find that when I start, or in the past, when I've started something, I get so enthusiastic about it. Yeah. I think it's it's the bee's knees. Everybody should do it. And absolutely, absolutely. Because you're so um, excited about it in yourself. Absolutely right. Um, and we don't know what's right for other people. No, no. And, um, well, we think we do. We just think we should stop telling them that. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I just, I, I don't do that. I, I, I certainly pushed my son away um, when I tried to get him to do it. He would, I, I was doing some trainings in when he was much younger in Australia. And um, he was traveling with me at the time. And we'd turn up at these graduations. I think I did, actually did... It's interesting. I did the first training in the bush in Australia, which was really something. And my son came to graduate, and all these young guys would go, oh, "Your dad's great, isn't he? You know, lovely." You know, and my my son would go, "Yeah, really, really." And uh, they'd say, oh, "Are you going to do the training?" He'd say, "No, in no way am I going to do it." And the more I tried to get him to do it, the further I pushed yeah. him. So I just let go one day. I just thought it's ridiculous. He's I, he's still my son. I still love him, whether he's done this stuff or not. Yeah, and he's a wonderful young man. He, he doesn't so. Actually, just let go of it. Yeah, and that's that's really wise words, really, because yeah, and that experience, because it is so easy, isn't it, to push people into things that yeah. you think they should yeah. do. And it's yeah, never like that. It's we all have to find our own journey through life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Well, this has been a really fascinating um, conversation, David. I've really enjoyed hearing about your journey from <laughs> Thank you. that little garden gate 
to um you know coming really coming out into the world and and becoming the leader that you are now and as such a healthy leader from what it sounds like to me and um is there anything that you would offer to our listeners as uh yeah just some words of not necessarily advice but you know what what is the thing that you've learned the most from your life that you feel is really important to storytell or impart to others um I think there's a saying that someone said to me years ago, which sticks with me more and more as I get older, which is um, seek to understand before you seek to be understood. People are so busy letting other people know what they think, but they don't hear what the other person's saying. I think the more I get older, the more I try and ask the questions. You know, um, I remember um, a few weeks ago, um, a couple who'd come to our storytelling thing here, elderly couple, they were lovely, lovely people, but very shy. Um, and they'd sat quietly and they hadn't come back. And they came to our garden gate and um, they just wanted to apologize, but not, they wouldn't even come in. They were a bit shy. They wouldn't even, not coming and they're really sorry. And love, lovely couple. And I think they must've been in their seventies. I, I don't know. So I, I start and they said, we haven't really got anything to say. And, so I just remember saying to, to them, well, you've got a South African accent. Well, where? Tell me about that. Because I've done quite a lot of trainings in South Africa. And the, they said, well, I've started very to tell me about her experiences. She's a teacher in South Africa, what they've done in apartheid, what they fought against, where they come from, how they had. And I just stood there and I just said, and after 10 minutes, I just said to her, and you say you've got no stories? I said, we could all learn from you. Come and share. Oh, shit, you're such a kind man. I say, I'm not a kind man. I'm genuinely fascinated with what you've got to say. But you've got to find your own voice. And um, so I think it's, I, I, I just like try and understand rather than trying to tell everybody else what you should do. I think that's it's a small bit of advice, but it works for me. I think that's really lovely, David. Yeah, we've all got a story in us. That's what this podcast is all about. Yeah. Hearing other people's stories and how they've come to the place in their life yeah. that we're at now. And that is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's special and it's important to hear those stories. Yeah. Um, bless you. Thank you so much. What's your hope for the future now? Um what's my hope for the future? How long a future? <laughs> well, my hope for the speech is that I've got to deliver a speech on Thursday. My hope is I can actually get it done in the next day. Um, I've already been swimming in the sea with my dog this morning, so I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Um, my hope for today is to get to Waitrose and get some food, actually. But So I, 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 that's the other thing. All this stuff about goals and, and, and drive and what are you going to achieve? I, 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 don't do any of that stuff anymore. I I do day to day, maybe week to week. I do. Well, what have I got on? I don't. I don't set myself any of that stuff anymore. I still do lots of stuff, but it's more how do I feel? I mean, I was really happy to do this with you. It wasn't something I'd plan. I don't. You know, what's your goals for the week and write them down. And oh, I stopped that years ago. Years. I don't know if I ever really got started on them, to be honest with you. I just, so it's just kind of take it each day as, as you know, it might be your last. Enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Enjoy Thank it. you so much, David. This has been a Time's gone so quickly. I could talk about myself for hours. <laughs> so. 
uh, maybe we'll bring you on another that, time. That was lovely. But offline, I'd like to hear. I'd like to hear about your books. In fact, I'd go and check them out now. Okay, you can do that. All right. So <laughs> thank you, David. Thank you. It's really my pleasure. Great. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening right to the end. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And remember, you can be in touch with myself or this speaker. My website is middleearthmedicine.com. We have a wonderful membership platform that you can join for just £5 a month. And we have lots of recordings and interesting information that we can share with you there, plus meeting online with regular groups. You can also find the details of our speaker in the box below with their links, their websites, and a little bit of information about them. Thank you for joining me and being part of this Middle Earth Medicine community. I hope you'll listen to our next show. Please follow, share, like, whatever you can do to help this community to grow. We really appreciate you. Thank you.